Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome back, y'all. It's Indisputable with Dr. Richie's Mundell Robinson filling in. And I'm joined by the ever, ever, ever so amazing Rayana. What's up, Rayana? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm glad to be on with you. I saw that you were hosting and I was like, hell yes, it's going to be a good show. <laughs> You're the best. Well, listen, today is going to be extremely um, taxing on both of our souls and uh, emotions. So I don't even think we need to waste any time. Let's jump right into it. This is a doozy. We're starting out with uh, Sean Combs, who's been accused of years of abuse by Cassie. Uh, this is his former girlfriend and also artist. According to Atlanta Black Star, obtained uh, Atlanta Black Star obtained a lawsuit filed Thursday, November 16th in New York, which states Combs lured Miss Ventura, this is Cassie, into an uh, obstetricious, fast-paced, and drug-fueled lifestyle and into a romantic relationship with them. The two met in 2005 when Cassie was 19 years old and Diddy was 37 years old and were in a relationship for close to 20 years. According to the suit, Diddy asserted complete control over Cassie's personal and professional life during that time. That, again, is according to the New York, uh, I'm sorry, Atlanta Black Star. Accordingly, on one event which occurred uh, at her birthday, 21st birthday party, in which Diddy invited herself himself to it. So she, he wasn't invited. He just invited himself. According to Cassie, Cassie said Diddy first forced himself onto her that evening. She had a boyfriend in and Diddy was dating the mother of three of his children, Kim Porter, at the time. Cassie alleged that Diddy violated her on numerous occasions. The most recent occurrence was in 2018 at her home after she attempted to break off their relationship. There's more, y'all. The single also said that he often physically abused her in the complaint. The lawyer state that she was punched, beat, kicked, and stumped, resulting in bruises, bust lips, black eyes, and bleeding. Other abuse claims allege that Diddy made the Me and You recording artist engage in sexual acts with male sex workers while pleasuring himself and filming, filming the encounters. Again, this is according to Atlanta Black Star. They said once after party with Jay-Z, Mr. Cone beats Miss Ventura repeatedly in an escalate including by kicking and hitting her. The complaint said, adding, he forced her out of the vehicle on Fifth Ave in New York City. As a result of the, her time with the music producer, Cassie said she was sucked into the results of, uh, she sucked into uh, a lifestyle of excessive alcohol and substance abuse, which required her to procure illicit prescriptions to satisfy his addictions. Let me just stop right here. I'm 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 not really familiar with pop. I get lost when it comes to a lot of pop stars, but I remember this relationship uh, vaguely between Cassie and, and Diddy. I don't know what in the hell to do with all this information. When I when I first heard of this, it blew my mind. This is a horrible situation. And the things that that are being alleged here are some serious ish. 
Ravana. And I, I, I just want to say that we should not, and I know I tell people all the time, uh, domestic violence is a serious situation and we should not uh, put our respect for someone's music talent in this situation. These are two humans and one of them is claiming she was and abused for nearly two decades by someone else. And I think we should stick to that point and not the personalities associated with it. Ravana? Yeah, and I think that's a really important point uh, because so often when a celebrity is accused of sexual assault um, or domestic violence or, you know, what we just saw in the case of uh, Meg the Stallion being shot by Tory Lanez, uh, there's already a built-in fan base for that individual who's going to defend them on the basis of they like them as a, an artist, as a musician, or an athlete, whatever they may be. But there's also people who are going to come out of the woodwork and pretend they always loved and respected this person as an artist based on their own misogyny. I'm sorry, there weren't that many Tory Lanez fans before <laughs> before he shot Meg the Stallion. That was a very real uh, circumstance that we saw, and we're seeing it start to happen again here. And someone like Diddy, who has such a, a strong foundation, is so influential and powerful within the industry, is going to have a lot more of that built-in fan base, right? And it's disappointing to see people jump to his defense, uh, you know, just as a knee-jerk reaction. And it is based on sexism. We know that, especially considering Diddy is someone who's been accused of all types of impropriety in the past. We're going to get into that in a second. But as a longtime, you know, Kid Cudi fan, I'd heard the rumors. I, I had heard allegations about Diddy for a long time. So to see that immediate, we have to support this person. We have to support this mogul. We have to support this, this artist. It, you can't divorce that from the sexism that is inherent in it. It is, you know, and it is a very brave thing to come forward with these allegations, knowing that you are going to be, you know, not just the victim of the abuse you were already forced to suffer at the hands of your abuser, but you're going to be victimized by all of these, you know, unwashed men jumping to their defense because they hate women. So she's being very brave right now. Um, and, you know, what we can do to support her is, you know, listen and, uh, you know, share her story and offer support to her and the other people who, who have, uh, you know, started to come forward as victims as well. Yeah. And I, and I, and I want to, and I want to acknowledge that I, I, like I said, I know very little about the relationship. I do know that you, you, you hit it on the nail on the head, this idea that we need to automatically defend um, someone as, as atrocious as Diddy's. And I'm not talking about, I don't have any perspective on this or any, like real knowledge about his abuse. But I do know that people should, people understand that Diddy for a long time had an, an extremely exploitive personality. He exploited his artists. Um, many of them complained about how the record deals that they were in and also the way he, you know, uh, managed their careers or ruined them for speaking out against the way he he managed their careers. So this idea that Diddy needs to be defended, well, he has a billion plus dollars to defend him and we'll see what that get him. I will say this, you said something about Kid Cudi because this is important. The lawsuit actually further contends that Diddy, after finding out that a musician believed to be Kid Cudi, liked Cassidy, blew up his vehicle. This is what we're talking about. Literally blew up his vehicle. Cassidy, who left Diddy label in 2019, said that she is just uh, seeking justice and finally wants to be heard. After years in silence and darkness, I am finally ready to tell my story and to speak up on behalf of myself and for the benefit of other women who have faced violence and abuse in their relationships. She said this in a comment. 
with the expiration uh, with the expiration of New York's Adult Survivors Act fast approaching, it became clear that this was an opportunity to speak up about the trauma I had experienced and that I will be uh, be recovering from for the rest of my life. Uh, it's like I said, this is this is uh, ridiculous. We should we should acknowledge that there's a response from uh, Diddy's lawyer, Mr. Cone, vehemently denies the these offenses and outrageous allegations. Ben Brofman, this is Diddy's lawyer, said in a statement to CNN for the first. Uh, for the for the past six months, Mr. Combs has been subjected to Mrs. Ventura' persistence demand of thirty million dollars under the threat of writing a damaging book about their relationship, which was unequivocally rejected as blatant blackmail. And this is, of course, according to Atlanta Black Star. Uh, attempted payoff: Mr. Combs offered Mrs. Ventura eight figures to silence her and prevent the filing of this lawsuit. This is according to Doug Wigdor told a Deadline on Thursday after the singer and model filed a suit in federal court claiming Combs subjected her to abuse, violence, and sex trafficking. Over the years, she rejected his efforts and decided to give a voice to all women who suffer in silence. Miss Ventura should be applauded for her bravery. Again, that is Dominique Patton at Deadline. Others. This is not it, though, Rayvano, like you were saying. Others in the music industry had previously made disturbing allegations against Combs. Prior to his arrest, uh, Keith D or Kef D had accused Diddy of ordering him a hit on Tupac. We know this. This is the guy who's been arrested for actually killing Tupac. He said that he was told, hired by Diddy to get it done. And then when his life stopped, because apparently he had a, a wonderful life as a drug dealer, um, that Diddy ruined because after he killed Tupac, he had to be on the run. He wanted his money from Diddy. Uh, artists Jaguar Wright and Aubrey O'Day have previously made disturbing allegations against Combs as well. Um, O'Day accusations said that Diddy formed um, Dante Kane on MTV's Making the Band in 2005. O'Day was removed from the group in 2008. Though she later returned in 2013, she previously alleged in a December 2020 episode of uh, the uh, Call Her Daddy podcast. Excuse me. <clears throat> that Diddy fired her because she wasn't willing to do what was expected of her. No talent, not talent-wise, but in other areas, she said in seeming references to sexual favors. And this is according to Jennifer Zahn at Vulture. Listen, something just clicked to me when I was actually going over that statement from O'Day. And now it all makes sense. Not that this is a revelation or something to prove these cases and nothing to make light of these cases, but I remember Dave Chappelle making a skit about Diddy and how demanding he was of people beyond people that he was working with beyond the music. And there was the skit Dave Chappelle talked about Diddy making people walk from Brooklyn all the way to uh, Bronx or Manhattan to get him some Cambodian breast milk. Uh, and that skit just popped in my mind when O'Day said she was not willing to do what was expected of him. Again, we know Dave Chappelle is a comedian and there's not truth in all comedy, but I couldn't help but think about there, where are these demands that Diddy require of people, Ravana, to do things that are beyond the music, beyond their talent, because he deserves to be, in his mind, treated like uh, the God. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there, he has a reputation of being a pretty ruthless business person. But, you know, also when I say ruthless, I don't just mean, you know, in business acumen, but uh, in, in his demands and in, in what he requests from individuals. And when it comes to uh, women, particularly in this industry, so often they they are forced to contend with a man who controls the future of their career, forcing them or, you know, and I think that's what was 
heavily implied in that statement, forcing them uh, to engage in sexual acts, right? And some people might try to diminish that as a form of sexual abuse, but it absolutely is. And we saw that, you know, in the, the cases with Harvey Weinstein, we could acknowledge it there. I think it's important to acknowledge that it happens, you know, not just in the film and TV industries, but in the music industry as well. Uh, and just to, you know, point out the age differences when this so-called relationship started, um, Cassie was 19 and Diddy was 37, I believe, or 38. I mean, it, it wasn't even just like a, a massive power differential within the industry, but, you know, she was just becoming an adult and he was a well-established, you know, almost in his 40s uh, year old man. The, the entire, you know, and, and it's the same thing with, with the women in these other uh, allegations as well. The age discrepancies are an important play an important role because it shows what a predator he is. He is intentionally seeking out these young women trying to, you know, create a career in, in the music industry, in hip hop, uh, and positions himself somewhat as a mentor to them and then completely controls their careers in his hands and tries to, tries to, or does successfully force them to engage in sexual acts with him or with other people, as we read in uh, uh, Cassie's allegations against him. We should also know if this is also true, there there's there has to be a case that is not expired. And that case is that if if, if it's true what the allegation said, that he also, uh, or this is a minor, she wasn't 21 when they met and he was giving her drugs and alcohol, allegedly. So that that too is something that needs to be delved into. Um, it, there's more, y'all. Yes, there's more. Oh, they also claimed in an interview this year that Diddy had uh, offered to return rights to Dante King's music if she signed a non-disclosure agreement, agreeing to never publicly disparage the rapper or his bad boy label. Oday, who said she personally encouraged every member a member not to take the deal, uh, reposted an Instagram story today suggesting that the NDA were meant to keep Diddy artists quiet. And we see this, and this is another act from extremely powerful people, not just in the music industry, but all over about how you keep uh, nefarious behavior silent and also how you silence victims as well. People misusing oh, this this NDA thing. I, I feel like NDAs should go away uh, in this context simply because uh, people are harboring or holding all this trauma associated with already something that is uh, lopsided, talking about the power of someone as big as Diddy when he was 37. This is after, we have to admit, this is after he's already found uh, Notorious Big. He's already found Bad Boys, already an established label. So that, that exploitive attitude and possibility already exists even before there's a relationship with this 19-year-old child. And I, and, I, and I know people push back on me calling a 19-year-old child, but you can't buy alcohol at that age. In some states, you can't buy cigarettes. Um, and we all know that science tells us that the brain is still developing. So to, you know, and I, again, I need to say this is alleged in the, in the claim uh, to offer drugs, alcohol to someone at the age and then have sex with them or force yourself in their lifestyle. Their 21st birthday, you pop up and the first time have sex or them is is disgusting. Again, we should say that Diddy Diddy's uh, camp says none of this is true, but this is what this woman is telling the world happened to her. And 
Again, I just say there's a pattern of abusive behavior that exists. We saw him beat his son's football coach uh, because of he didn't like the way his son was being played in a football game. He beat this man in front of all those people. So we do know that happened. We also know that the punishment, the punishment for that behavior was light or non-existent. And that goes back to what's possible when you have all the resources in the world. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Ravana. Yeah, I mean, and so often these people are not held accountable for their actions, which is why it's so important and very brave uh, of her to be bring to be filing this lawsuit. Like I mentioned earlier, she knows the negative attention it's going to bring on her, uh, the hate from all the the fanboys and the the new fanboys who just hate women who are going to be attacking her for it. Um, and I mean, I'm I'm sorry, I'm like looking at the chat for the show right now, and I saw someone say that women lie. So how should we believe her? And it's despicable. This is even among a progressive audience, someone is willing to say something as vile as that. You know, it is it is really difficult for women to come forward. Uh, you know, and I commend her bravery, and I commend the bravery of the other women, uh, you know, who have, have discussed the way that they were mistreated uh, by Diddy. And I, I commend everyone who's, you know, not just, you know, women, but men as well, who are brave enough to come forward, you know, and, and name their abusers and uh, particularly in court filings, because it's going to be a very vulnerable process for her, right? He is an extremely wealthy man who can hire the best attorneys in the in the country who are going to try to tear her credibility to shreds and she has stepped forward and said I'm going to go through this so that hopefully no other women have to suffer at the hands of this vile abuser uh and and she deserves all the praise that she can be given for her bravery yeah, indeed, and I and I think that, like you said, that comment is uh, extremely vile. And I, I, I just think we we just got to be honest with what we know and what we see out of people's behavior. When someone show you who they are, you should definitely pay attention. Uh, Jaguar Wright had this to say in an interview: Uptown Records started with five people: Andre Harrell, I'll be sure, Heavy D, and Puffy or Diddy, as we call him now, and Kim Porter. Were the, uh, of course, Porter uh, or Diddy were the longest working employee. She was there from the very beginning. She was Andre's personal assistant. Kim is dead. Heavy D is dead. Andre Harrell is dead. The only two left are, are Diddy or Puffy and Al. And Al is almost dead, talking about I'll be sure. And then he said, isn't that industry? This was in Street Stars interview. You want to know what they all had in common, though? The survivors and the late, uh, the survivors and the late Uptown Records, they were all writing tell-all books. Has Puffy ever been in a coma? Has anything ever happened to him? He must be the luckiest mother ever because it seems like everybody that worked at Uptown Records from the very beginning are gone. Just him, Jaguar Wright. Um, now, this is some people might say this is conspiracy theories. This is this is all like linking together things that are not connected. I will say though, it is interesting that everybody was in the process of writing a tell-all book about the beginning of of, of Uptown Records and also that form or that that era of hip hop, and they all are now gone. I mean, this again. I'm not I'm not buying and saying that this is any connected at all or did he have anything to do with the death of them? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it is. A, a fact. All, all those things are facts that these people were writing books when they all passed away. It is also a fact that Manny Mabel, who wrote uh, the second uh, book about Malcolm X, died the day the book came out, too. So I'm not linking Malcolm X to the death of Manny Mabel because M Malcolm X had been dead for many of years. But back to the story at hand and something that we shouldn't forget. Someone is alleging that she was traumatized by this man for two decades. 
This man is one of the richest men in the world. To believe that it's not possible or to automatically write her off is disgusting. When we see horrible behavior time and time again for this demographic, men with billions of dollars behave ruthlessly over and over. Diddy actually got in a fight with J. Cole um, over J. Cole refusing to let him bully Kendrick Lamar over a lyric Kendrick Lamar put in a song. Literally, Kendrick Lamar called himself the king of New York. Diddy took offense to that and at a party was trying to fight Kendrick Lamar and him and J.J. J, J. Cole ended up fighting. So this idea that he wouldn't go or be ruthless or behave in a ruthless manner is to, to, be, na- to be naive at best. And then on the other end of that is to be sexist, uh, anti-women, uh, and in this case, anti uh, yeah, just anti-women. And I think that is that is something that we we need to acknowledge. Uh, Ravon, I'll give you the last word on this before we go to the next story. Yeah, I'll say to all of the men out there who say things like, well, we just have to wait till they're found guilty or in this case, liable. Um, they said that during Tory Lanez's trial. He was found guilty. He's in jail now. And they still didn't change their tune. They're still calling Meg the Stallion a liar, despite the they said we got to wait till we hear what the jury says. We got to wait till we hear what the jury says. The jury said he was guilty, and now it's uh, now it's there was corruption in the trial. There's corruption in the trial. So I don't trust for a second when I hear people use that type of phrasing around these issues. I think it's important to to see what comes out in trial. I think that that is you know as someone who's gone to law school something that we should value. But I think that so many people who weaponize that uh, uh, do so just as a a way of attacking the credibility of a woman. Um, So, you know, we'll see again how this plays out. But, you know, all support to her during what is going to be a very vulnerable and difficult time. Yeah, and I think and I think it, this is a wonderful point. And I was I, I I thought I was done with my thoughts on this, but I, I mean, what would be the case if 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 white people told black? I mean, I mean, we see black people all the time talking, screaming about cops that are killing black people. If the response was, and when the response is, because often it is, when the response is, well, let's just see what happens when the case play out. Like, if if they were they criminals, did they did they really do attack the cop? So we see this behavior all the time, and our stance is completely different than when women come forward. Right? It is never, oh, well, that black person is lying about this cop. And when it is, we are very very pissed about that. So I just wanted to add that fact because it is some a lot of sexism in that. A mistrial for the cop who fired 10 shots into Breonna Taylor's home. In Louisville, Kentucky, a mistrial has been declared in the case of Louisville, former Louisville Metro Police Department officer Brett Hankerson, who was involved in a botched May 13 or March 13, 2020 raid that resulted in the death of Breonna Taylor. Background, let's give some background on this trial. According to the Louisville Courier-Journal, his trial began on October 30th and a federal judge uh, heard testimony from around two dozen witnesses. The Associated Press reported that the 12 member jury told District Judge Rebecca Grady Jennings that they were at an impasse on Thursday afternoon. Of course, this is according to People Magazine. Jennings asked the jurors to continue deliberating, but the judge later said there were elevated voices from the jury room during deliberation. Court security officers or officials visited the room. The AP reports, jurors said they were still deadlocked causing Jennings to declare a mistrial. Again, that's according to People Magazine. When asked if federal prosecutors 
will retry the case. The Department of Justice spokesman told ABC News that they are actively considering all of their available options. And that again is uh, ABC WHS 11 News. I wanna, there's more in this case, but Ravana, I wanna bring this in. This is, um, this is a horrible, absolutely disgusting situation for me. First of all, they're still referring to this person who, who murdered this woman as, oh, as a former police officer. I am disgusted by that title. How do you get to keep or be called a uh, former police officer when you were a part of this ridiculous no-knock warrant who killed a woman who was asleep in her bed? It's absolutely disgusting that we still refer to this person in this manner. There's nothing else we can refer to him as other than former police officer. What are you trying to evoke out of people? Rayvana, what do you think? No, and that's an excellent point that you just made because it is meant to invoke a sense of uh, he was carrying out his duty. And it's important for it to be continuously framed that way uh, by his legal team. Even the word former doesn't change the connotation of what you're saying there. You know, you could just call him by his name. <laughs> but that being said, the fact that this, and I've been following this trial because we are years and years out from this horrible murder of Breonna Taylor and no justice has been served against this man, uh, it, you know, it, individually. Of course, her family did receive a, a settlement, a large settlement, but I mean, that's still not the type of justice there uh, that they are hoping to achieve. They want to see this man behind bars for what he did to Breonna Taylor. And I've been following this trial pretty closely and the evidence that has been presented to me, I, you know, even, and I have a biased perspective on this case. Of course I do. You know, I want the uh, Breonna Taylor's family to get justice. But if, you know, I'm looking at it from, uh, you know, the, a perspective where I'm just evaluating the evidence being brought forward, to me, it seems impenetrable. Like it is rock solid. Other people on the scene were testifying that there's no way he could have seen through the windows that had blackout curtains. And somehow this jury, which only has one black person on it, mind you, came to the conclusion that they couldn't come to a conclusion. It's unfathomable to me. And the judge did, you know, I'm probably getting this in a second, ask them to continue considering. Um, but then just two hours later, they said they couldn't reach a conclusion. I mean, it seems like it seems like something funky is going on or there's people in the jury who couldn't be objective, you know, members of a jury in this case, or maybe have a bad understanding of the law. Maybe the prosecutors didn't do their job on that part or the defense did a good job at obfuscating what the law is. I'm not sure. We're not privy to all that information. And we are also not privy to how many jurors were refusing to, you know, we don't know how many were on each side of the issue. We don't know how many wanted to convict and how many wanted to find him not guilty. Um, but just thinking of the way that the process works, it could be 11 of them wanted to convict and one uh, didn't. Or we could have the opposite. There could be one very brave person on the jury refusing to, uh, you know, uh, to acquiesce to 11 other people who wanted to let him off on these charges. We don't know. But that's why I think it's so important that they do retry this case. And it's, you know, and that's obviously the wishes of the family. And I I want to see that happen because this man deserves to be punished for what he did. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right on this. And I'm going to say something. Both of us been to law school, Ravana, uh, you and myself. I, I, I think for me, I don't know how the people I went to law school with are going to feel about this next comment, but I'm going to make it. 
This is why, this is the very reason why I don't like the idea that common people are called to be on a jury. I yeah. need people to understand the law clearly to finding. I don't, I don't need this idea. So it could be a jury of your peers with law degrees, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that to me would sit better because there's no way, like you said, this was a, this was a, to me in my eyes, a, a, a rock solid case. And this was a home run. But when you put the, when you put the political leanings, the beliefs and the, the folk, uh, what, what, the, what, what's the, what's the legal term? Not the common person, but you know the term the I'm talking person. about. The layperson's ideas and, and views in it, then it's all sway. And then people can be confused about what the law is. This is the difference between the judge sitting over Donald Trump's trial in uh, New York versus a jury trial. Donald Trump can rent all he wants. This judge understands what's at state and what laws are to be, uh, what are the measures of the laws. And I think that is a problem. And you also write about the fact that her, pa- her family is dead set on one another trial. Uh, Lanita Baker, uh, her mother, or the family's attorney, I'm sorry, is confident this would not be the last time Hankinson is in a courtroom. The attorney from the Department of Justice uh, did indicate that this that there is their intention to retry Brett Hankinson in this case again. Baker said that a hearing is set for December the 13th to determine if the federal government will bring Hankinson to trial again. This is this is I, this is as a person who has lost uh, two brothers to the streets to violent to violent deaths. Um, this is why people. Uh, cannot put their their healing process and with justice, right? The justice department is not a, should not be a part of your healing process, not not at all, or your grieving process, because every time that family has to deal with this situation, it could affect how they're moving forward with their lives. And this is absolutely true when it comes to black people dealing with cops as the defendants. We don't see justice enough to make that a part of your grief system. That just seems like a way that's going to set you back. Hankinson and two other officers, Miles Cosgrove and Jonathan Mattingly, uh, were involved in, in the fatal raid. However, Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron said in the September 20, in a September 2020 conference that no charges would be filed against Cosgrove and Mattingly because our investigation showed and the grand jury agreed. Mattingly and Cosgrove were justified in the return of deadly fire after having been fired upon by Kenneth Walker. You bastard. And the people of Kentucky rejected this bastard. And I'm saying that again because the smile on his face, the smirk in his black face that reminds me so much of Mitch McConnell. And even though they don't look alike at all, I cannot take I cannot take Daniel serious at all. And I'm so glad the people of Kentucky rejected him for an, as an elected official and did not. He did not win an election. And I hope that is a tad bit of solace for the family of of, 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 of Breonna Taylor. And the, not just the family, but the community at large, people saying we reject this idea where you can't ask for a higher office when we've already seen you're not capable of delivering justice on an issue as simple as this, uh, Ravana. Yeah, and it's particularly you know important that he was rejected in a state that is otherwise fairly red. Um, and he was running against, you know, a, a a democratic governor and they rejected him outright. And that is, you know, I have, you know, the utmost confidence that his decision in this uh, uh, to not prosecute in this case, those other two officers played a role in the rejection of him at the ballot box. Um, That being said, you know, I think that what, what you said is interesting because when you see uh, just about juries for one second, because when you are an attorney on a jury, they are almost 
uh, always going to make you the foreperson of the jury. And I think that says something that they give more, you know, credence to those individuals. I, I, you know, obviously you can't play out like that the way that the state constitutions are written and, you know, law degrees being prohibitively expensive uh, and for like a myriad of other reasons. But I, you know, I would say that I think that every police officer should have to go to law school. I think every person who's charged with enforcing the law should have to get the same legal education that you and I did, because in a lot of places you could be deputized with no education on the law, no experience on the law. And then we, and when we're in trials, right, we turn to these police officers as experts to testify in these cases. And they simply are not experts. Six weeks of a law enforcement education does not an expert on the law make. It's absurd. Uh, and, you know, if we had a higher bar for police in this country, maybe we would have less police brutality. Maybe we would have police officers who actually have some sort of respect for the law, which so, so often we see they do not. You know, maybe we would have, you know, a smaller, more accountable police force. It's, you know, it's despicable. And, but, you know, speaking of accountability, that's what needs to happen here. And, you know, as you said, the family's confident that the prosecutors are going to retry the case. And that's right now all we can hope for. We can wait and see what they're going to do. But, you know, I would put my money on retrying it. They've obviously spent a lot of time and effort on this case. Um, I, I would be very surprised if they just threw it by the wayside now. But what we can do uh, for our part is continue to put pressure on the prosecutors to retry this case so that the media doesn't become silent and they feel like they don't have to do their jobs. Right. And I, and I think that's a good point. And before we take this to break, I just want to remind people that this man actually shot 10 times into Breonna Taylor's apartment, three of those bullets, which went through her wall and into her neighbor's house. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't understand how every time I hear one of these young boys in, in North Carolina or, or anywhere in this country are, are charged with shooting a gun, it's an uh, attempted murder charge associated with that. He was not charged with that. He was simply charged with wanton endangerment of allegedly firing 10 bullets, 10 bullets into this house that he couldn't see into, and he got no attempted murder charges. So, and that's, of course, some of that information came from People Magazine. So we're going to go to break. We'll be back. It's Ravana, y'all. You know you're getting learned and schooled whenever she's on TV. I'm so lucky to be here. We're filling in on Indispensable. We're back. It's Mundo Robinson with Ray Ray. This and I listen. I didn't even know your nickname was Ray Ray. According to uh, some of the members, they were like TYT over on TYT.com. They say Ray Ray and the mayor taking care of us while the good Dr. Richie celebrates having received his JD. Listen, Dr. Richie has so many degrees. I've given up. I'm just like when they're like, is Dr. Is Dr. Richie educated? I'm like, yes, he has one of all of those. <laughs> he has one of all of those. But yeah, congratulations to the good doctor and also Ray Ray for being here with me while he's out uh, being celebrated for all of his hard work. Uh, this is over still on tyt.com. Uh, the member, uh, the zero right is zero wrong. I don't know. It's hard to uh, believe a guy who made a career out of saying on records, we won't stop and take that, take that. I mean, maybe, maybe he was being, you know, or letting us know who he is and who he always has been. Sticking with this idea about a Diddy, because it seems like the members were fired up about that. Uh, Emmy Han said, uh, Money is why Diddy didn't got, get got a, a while ago. And I, I can't even argue with that. People with money, Donald Trump walks around and threaten 
or, or, or say wild things about people that are charging him and also in the, in the process of prosecuting him. And there's nothing happening to him. Where if he was a regular citizen, a person without the resources that Donald Trump had, he would have been locked up a long time ago. We also want to thank uh, Snack Panther for gifting uh, a membership to Tim Nichols. And also Snack Panther had this to say, how you get punked by a dude with dolphin teeth. Well, when you have dolphin teeth backed up by billions of dollars, and also you have to think about the age difference between um, this 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 sister and this guy, this 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 person who is Diddy, uh, it is it is definitely plausible and also par for the course. Someone said that uh, about this. This is about the mistrial for the cop. The jury didn't make that decision. The individual jurors did. Wink, wink. And that's from Ghost Dog TV. Yes. All of that is true. Um, it is just disgusting. And what I'm so scared and nervous about, if I'm being honest, uh, Ray Ray, is that most likely it'll go back to a retrial and then it'll be a jury makeup just like it was this time and nothing will be uh, made made different. And, and unfortunately, that is as American as apple pie and baseball, to say it plainer. Racism is as American as apple pie and baseball. And in that, and in that vein, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're going to feel free! Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Like it's a children's movie. It's definitely not a children's movie. Oh, it's a 12 plus. 12 plus? Well, you should put it on there because my child is 12 and he cannot watch this. I brought my kid, my 12-year-old kid, to see this movie. And this is not a Christmas movie. My kid is crying. Posters, and they're not even Christmas movies. This is a horror movie. Who's your manager? I need to talk to who's in charge of here. Uh, she's not uh, here. She's not here. What's her name? I need to get her number. I, I can't give any personal. I want her phone number. You're making the other guests upset. I, I don't I care. I need this lady's number. I need your manager, your manager's phone uh, I can't name. I give you any information, I'm sorry. I'm not leaving until you give me her name. You have to leave now, I'm sorry. No, I'm not leaving. You're making My kid number. is crying. <laughs> Listen, this is a Norwegian Karen mom who had taken her 12-year-old into the uh, happy a holiday horror movie. There's something in the barn. There's something in the barn. Uh, here's the film poster. Check it out, guys. A Google search of this film synopsis would reveal the fantasy horror film is about an American family who, after having inherited a family estate in Norway, Soon discover an evil elf living in their barn that plots to get rid of them. Listen, first of all, I need her phone number. Where's your manager? Slam me. This guy, did. she knows this person is this worker who's at work did not make the rating of this film. He can't put 12 years or older on a film. We're not going to give a special rating for your child and your child only. Do us a favor, lady. Play parent. And do some research before you take a child to the movie. So what if you just took this child to a movie called Something in the Barn and it was a porno? <laughs> it ain't that people's fault. It's your fault. You're a bad parent. Just say that. Just say that. You're a bad parent. You didn't do any research. Your child told you about a movie. You went to see the movie because your child told you about the movie without being a parent at all, checking up on it. Is she whack for being a bad parent and letting the whole world know it right there? Ray. Right. Well, I mean, first of all, the movie's rated R. So, okay. like, why? <laughs> You're right. She didn't do her homework. She didn't do her job as a parent and took her child to an R 
rated film. I mean, it took me two seconds to look up the rating just now on Google. She couldn't have been. And it's on the poster. You could see it in the corner of the poster. It says it's rated R. Um, and also, I mean, what I'm a I'm a person who doesn't like scary movies, right? I'm I'm a coward. The scariest movie I ever saw was hereditary. Um, I was 19 at the time and I slept in my mom's bed. I was so scared after I watched that movie um, because, you know, moms protect us from the scary things at night. <laughs> but like I would always look up a movie that I might think might even be a little bit scary to see if it's something I think I can handle. <laughs> the idea that you wouldn't take care of your child to do that for them is whack. I don't know how else to describe it. And then to to turn your rage on someone who's just working at the movie theater who has no idea like how mature your child is, whether or not they're, they can handle seeing a movie like this. It's not his job. It's not her job. It's your job, mom. It's your job. And she's maybe it's, she's projecting her disappointment in herself for letting this happen in a very Karen way onto somebody else who's working there because she doesn't want to have to do that type of introspection. But it's so, it's just so goofy. This, this, uh, you know, just find the closest person wearing a vest and yell at them. Someone wearing a badge, uh, grab them by the collar and shake them because you're actually mad at yourself. Yeah, I wish I wish there was some popcorn grease on the floor where she was standing around kicking so she could have slipped or something. I'm, I'm not sure. I think this is absolutely disgusting, especially when he goes to the step and says he's he's extremely calm. Wow. Mm -hmm. I don't have that level of like patience with people. Um, so the fact that he was like, listen, you're making the other guests. Uh, upset and it's and it's like it was just ridiculous all of that was ridiculous and for not moms for liberty boots chapter leaders from proud boys pig uh myrna eds left she's on the left the former campbell county kentucky chair and karen strayer right the former Boone County, Kentucky Moms for, Lib Moms for Liberty chapter chair, appeared in photos with several Proud Boys members on November the 4th at, at the Protect the Children nationwide rally in Frankfort, Connecticut. The photo posted on Facebook by another attendee showed the women smiling in their Moms for Liberty clothing. Schreyer can be seen joining several other flashing the OK sign with their hands uh, which is rec recognized by the Anti-Defamation League as a symbol of white supremacy beliefs uh, or the 3% movement. I am, listen, let me let me just be clear. Here, here's what's funny about all of this story to me, Ray Rana. You could get kicked out of Moms for Liberty for being at a uh, white supremacist Proud Boy rally when we know Moms for Liberty itself is a white boy, a, a, white, a white pride in that rally. I mean, what are we talking about? We're talking about mothers who don't have kids in public school for the most part, taking over school boards, which are which are definitely challenged with uh, or charged with educating majority black and brown kids across this country. It is absolutely disgusting that it doesn't you don't, you're not kicked out for jeopardizing what kids understand and know not just about our history but our present and how people identify. Um, you know, it is absolutely disgusting that we'll kick you out when you get caught doing what we're already doing. Anyway, at school boards all over this country. Ravana, 
It's so funny. It's like kicking someone out of the Waffen SS for going to a Hitler rally. I mean, what are you you trying to say here? We know that there's not ideological difference between moms for liberty or as I call them, moms for Hitler and the proud boys. I mean, they moms for liberty literally used a Hitler quote in their official newsletter. And it wasn't like an accident. They didn't quote something that wasn't attributed to anyone. They put the quote and then at the bottom, it said Adolf Hitler. I mean, the idea that you could be removed from this group for supporting the white supremacist ideology that is the core of the group. I mean, I'm sure the women who were removed were so surprised that this happened. How could they expect this? They were supporting the same ideology, you know, the same policies, the same principles that are the core tenets of Moms for Liberty. And they're getting kicked out of the group for it. I mean, it's not, and you know, of course, Moms for Liberty has a huge optics problem, but the idea that going to a Proud Boy rally and making like white supremacist hand signs was going to be, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back and not, I don't know, literally praising Hitler come be be for real right now. <laughs> it's like it's it's like the Karen, it's like Karen's are Karen on Karen now. Like yeah. let me say this slower. The Karen's are praying and Karen on Karen's now. Like it's unbelievable. A picture from Bo- uh, Bobby Coleman on Facebook shows Eid uh helping to hold a flag that reads Appalachian Proud Boys Kentucky or say it a different way part of Moms of Amer- Moms for Liberty of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I mean I don't get it. It's unbelievable to me just as we said the National Moms for Liberty organized uh, organization posted Tuesday on X, formerly known as Twitter. Moms for Liberty is in no way affiliated with the Proud Boys. Sure, you're not, and and we do, and does not condone involvement with the organization. Repudiated hate and violence. We have been made aware that two chapter leaders have recently demonstrated a lack of judgment and misalignment uh, with our core values. What are their core values other than hate and also hate? Let's be clear. The idea that moms for liberty don't support hate or are not for hate is ridiculous to me. They go on to say, due to this, those leaders have been removed from their positions. We will not allow the actions of a few to define the rest of our 130,000 members who as joyful warriors, joyful warriors are what they call stand for truth, build relationships, and empower others. This is, of course, on their egg site. Uh, Moms for Liberty said it would follow uh, our current policies and procedures in selecting new chapter leaders. It did not respond to an inquiry about whether the two former leaders would be removed from the organization or allowed to stay on as rank and file members. Their names and contact information were removed from chapter websites. And that, of course, is according to the Associated Press. Listen, Ray Ray. I am I'm I'm flabbergasted at how serious these people take themselves. 130, they're they're now counting 130,000 members. I would like to know of the 130,000 members, how many of you have kids in private school? Or how many of you are actively defunding private, I mean public school by taking public dollars and putting them in voucher programs to fund your kids' private education? I this is sick to me. For me, I'm not saying that you need to be one to say that you are one, but you would definitely need to have kids uh, in the school systems, in my eyes, before you show up in this manner with this much noise and power. And and as we, and we it is power, as we see, they're taking over school boards and restricting school districts all over this country, even though we know a majority of kids across this school or across this country that are educated by the public school network are actually black and brown kids. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah, and that's an important point, right? Because we reported on here that 
almost all book ban requests put in across this country were uh, originated with just 11 people. Those 11 people don't have kids in all of the school districts all across this country, right? And it's the same thing for Moms for Liberty. You know, it's the same thing for them. As you said, most of these women, you know, are older. We saw those pictures. They don't have kids who are actively in schools. They don't know what's actually going on in these schools. And I'll say I'm happy that they were defeated at the ballot box, heavily defeated at the ballot box in the last election cycle just a few weeks ago. And um, we saw Moms for Liberty endorse candidates losing big in um, Virginia. We saw them losing big in New Mexico, especially, you know, people losing their seats that they formerly held, people just outright losing elections, uh, which is excellent. So I, you know, I was joking at the beginning, but I do understand why Moms for Liberty wants to distance themselves from the Proud Boys, because as I said, they have an image issue, right? They have a PR issue and they don't want to be associated with the group that is best known for organizing January 6th. Uh, they want to be seen as a legitimate political advocacy organization that, you know, their endorsements carry meaningful weight in elections when right now we're seeing their endorsements do carry weight, just not in the way <laughs> that they want them to carry weight. Yeah, and I mean, listen, and, and it, this this story gets a little more creepier when you when you look at how even though they've been stripped of leadership, how they doubled down specifically, uh, Myrna Eads, right? She said, um, "This is according to the Space Coast Rocket. We pose with them because we have a common goal or a goal in common: raising awareness of the dangers that lurk around our children." And that we are, we were both labeled as hate groups by SPLC. We're not affiliated, nor has Mother for Liberty ever been affiliated with Proud Boys. You pose with them because they got labeled a hate group and you did too? That's not a good, that's not a good look for taking school pictures, my friend. She continued to say the Save the Children rally was about protecting children from sex trafficking and pornography that is flooding our schools. What schools? It's, it's right. just not true. The Proud Boys that were were present were a part of a group of Papa Bears who had who had one goal: preserve America by protecting our children. Of course, again, that is the Space Coast Rocket covering Myrna Eads, one of those members who were removed from or as chair for Moms for Liberty. She went on to add that. Check this out. Here we go, Ray Ray. In my opinion. I do not see the Proud Boys as the insurrectionists of January 6th. I believe that what occurred on January 6th was an inside job orchestrated by Nancy Pelosi and don't wait, Antifa. President Trump gave a peaceful speech and was still talking when a, a few agitators went into the Capitol. This is according, according to Space Coast. I can't, I can't even, I can't even make this up. Why would Antifa stop Donald Trump? From losing an election, why would it be their goal to to hang Mike Pence when he's about to certify Donald Trump as out the White House? Why would Nancy Pelosi be against that? Why would Nancy Pelosi and Antifa orchestrate something that says hang Nancy Pelosi, kill Nancy Pelosi? Why would she have them break into her office and take something that's valuable to her? Why would she have them defecate on her floor? What are we talking about, people? This is this is the dumbness that is dumb that is now. The Republican Party. We can't even just call it Moms for Liberty. We can't just call it uh, Proud Boys. This is this is the doctrine of the uh, Republican Post. Check this out. The Space Coast Rocket did an excellent breakdown on the incident while occur, uh, also coming across this. 
Hamilton County Moms of Liberty Chair Tanya died sitting next to Proud Boys Bobby Bean. Bobby Bean, good old Bobby Bean, mm -hmm. while wearing his Proud Boy hat. Tanya posted the photo on the Moms for Liberty Chattanooga, Tennessee Facebook page. So clearly these groups are connected more than just in one space, more than just at one event. They go to lunch together. They smile together. They hate together. Say it again, Mundell. They hate together. They hate together, Ray Ray. Yeah. And <laughs> just to add, I mean, I'm laughing my ass off because Antifa orchestrated January 6th and it was Nancy Pelosi behind it. And she told them to poop on her floor for office. Like, I mean, but it's it's even that ideology is dangerous, right? Because that was what we saw the the driving motivation for uh, David DePape to break into Nancy Pelosi's home and beat her husband with a hammer. So even that denialist ideology, like it wasn't us who were actually there on January 6th storming the Capitol. It was actually Antifa orchestrated by Nancy Pelosi, drives people to uh, also engage in acts of violence. It inspires them to do things like that. So, you know, even the denialism is is uh, perpetuating a violent uh, ideology that they're somehow also trying to denounce. It makes no sense. <laughs> right. Can, can we can we just be honest about this? No Antifa members have been locked up for this. Right. But about 60 Proud Boy members have been charged with federal crimes related to the assault, which was intended to halt the certification of Democratic Joe Biden's victory. Right. Over Republican President Donald Trump in um in, in 2020, the presidential election, more than half of them have pled guilty or been convicted at the trials in Washington. Here we go. So we're going to say we're going to continue to say that Antifa's responsible or Nancy Pelosi and Democrats, even though we see something completely different. Right. I'll give you the last word before break. Yeah, I mean, it really is just don't believe your lying eyes. They're telling the people who were there participating in January 6th that they weren't actually there. It was it was Antifa. And so it's fascinating to watch. It's a dangerous, uh, you know, violent ideology. And I hope that we're able to stop the spread of it soon. And it's good to see that organizations that promote it, like Moms for Liberty, is losing big time on the ballots. Indeed. Um this is indisputable. And in, in, in the words of the great poet, Dr. Richard Stick and Stay, we'll be back. In New York, public libraries in Manhattan, Queens, Brooklyn will all be forced to close on the weekends after Mayor, Mayor, Mayor Eric Adams announced the full list of proposed cuts to the city funders. The 5% budget cut will impact every city agency across New York City, including the police and sanitation departments, as well as the public library system. The budget cuts will also impact spending on library materials, programming, and building maintenance and repairs. That's a court. This is, of course, according to PIX 11 uh, News. Earlier this year, the Brooklyn, Queens, and New York public libraries held rallies to protest $36.2 million in proposed budget cuts in the fiscal year 2020 budget, 2024 budget at City Hall. Elected officials, union representatives, and library associates or advocates rallied to preserve funding for libraries. Same news station recording this. Libraries were exempt from budget cuts in June at a spirited campaign that included support from everyday New Yorkers, as well as celebrities like Sarah Jessica Parker, Bette Miller, Chelsea Clinton, and others, library leaders said. Listen, Ray, I mean, before we get too far in it, I appreciate a celebrity saying something. But put some money up. We also right. should figure out how we sue Texas and Florida for what they're doing to the to the budget in New York because of all the migrants being shipped illegally. I think this is human trafficking. 
And I think we should do something about that. What, do you, what is your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And as you know, someone who lives in Chicago, we've been seeing the same sort of crisis here. I live right next to one of the migrant tent cities and it breaks my heart every single day because it's winter in Chicago. It's cold. And, you know, I'm happy that I have a progressive mayor here, um, that we have Brandon Johnson. We have a lot of DSA members in our city council who are doing what they can to you know, alleviate these issues. But one of the things that they've proposed is increasing taxes on real estate transactions over a million dollars to raise money to combat homelessness. Eric Adams is not a progressive mayor. And so he's, I think, maybe the worst big city mayor in the country. That being said, like, and we'll talk about all the other issues he's having right now, but closing the libraries on the weekends as someone who worked uh, in after school programs with kids, uh, you know, who grew up where I grew up in a low income area. There's not a lot of uh, availability for things for them to do after school uh, or on the weekends. Having something like a library can be the difference in, in a child's life. Right. Between um, getting into, you know, bad activities that that are, are not going to have them have great outcomes later on in life, you know, versus finding a passion for reading going to college, you know, getting good jobs. And so closing something that is, it should be an equalizer for everyone living in the city, you know, to be able to enjoy. I'll say you're right though. Those celebrities, thank you for raising awareness, put some money up because Eric Adams isn't going to, you know, work the budget so that he can keep these libraries open. He doesn't care. So help, help some people out, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. And speaking of some of the other things you're talking about, some of the other controversies, they're all really tied to Turkey. Some campaign donations, uh, the FBI is investigating to see if some 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 campaign donations came into Mr. Adams' campaign, uh, who, you know, as a, even when he was in Brooklyn as the borough chief, he actually said that he visited Turkey like six times or something. I think he said he's the most most connected politician to Turkey in this country. So now we're going to see how connected you are as this investigation plays out. And by the, by the, by the hopes and grace of God, it better not be any legal connections because the FBI, the FBI will find out, my friend. Ramaswamy refers to South San Francisco homeless people as vermin. Appearing on CNN News, Newsnight with anchor Abby Phillip, Vivek Warmaswamy wasn't going to let Donald Trump be the only GOP presidential candidate to use the loaded term vermin, saying on Wednesday night, the world also applies, or the word also applies to San Francisco homelessness or homeless people. This Over the weekend, I just want to play this from what uh, President Trump said uh, to his supporters. We will root out. The communists, Marxists, fascists, and the radical left thugs that live like vermin within the confines of our country. The threat from outside forces is far less sinister, dangerous, and grave than the threat from within. That language, they live like vermin. Do you believe that that is, as your uh, Republican colleague Chris Christie has said, neo-Nazi rhetoric? This is a classic mainstream media move. Pick some individual phrase of Donald Trump, focus on literally that word without actually interrogating the substance of what's at issue. The word I was chosen for a reason. We are in the middle of a cultural war in this country. 
The well, you know what? It, it, it's actually describing a series of behaviors. You have Antifa and other related groups that have been burning down cities for the last three years in this country. Would you describe them as vermin? violating the rule of law? We have an invasion on our southern border. We have millions of people crossing our southern border. Let's talk about the substance okay. of why we have to recognize would, that we're not in ordinary you, times. Would you so use the that vocabulary language yourself? of the vermin or not is not what's important. Well, I haven't used that language. So, so you can look you? at my, my track record on the campaign trail. I talk about the issues. We all talk about them differently. But what I'm not going to do is play some game of focusing on some word that somebody else said without ignoring entirely the substance of what we're actually talking about. There is no substance. And, and, and he refused, of course, unwilling to discuss the matter further. He shares who he thinks are vermin. Check a look at this. Picking on Donald Trump's word vermin to talk about that status quo. You know what's vermin? What's running around San Francisco on a given day before Gavin Newsom cleaned it up on a dime to roll out the red carpet for Xi Jinping. If he could do that for Xi Jinping, he could have done it on an ordinary day. And yet we're here sitting talking not about the substance of that, but on one word that Donald Trump said in some speech in Miami. This is what's wrong with the mainstream media. Focus on the substance and let's have an actual policy debate rather than talking to a presidential candidate instead of the policy substance of what's actually going on in the country. Picking on some word that Donald Trump said on a certain day and asking me for comment on it. Give me a break. Look, um, Mr. Ramaswamy, the former president saying that People on the left live like vermin in this country. That's a pretty substantive thing. And the word choice was not accidental. Look he at chose the way it intentionally. In San Francisco he repeated it normally. on social media. And I think it's important for us to talk about it. But we appreciate your time tonight. Thank you very much for joining us. I think it's important to talk about the substance of it. Thank you, Abby. Thank you, Abby. I think I think the what substance are you looking for to discuss with Donald Trump? Donald Donald Trump is almost as flat as your ass is, Mr. Ramaswamy. You don't have substance. Neither of you. You could try and talk fast and try to out talk people, talk over people, but you are disgustingly empty when it comes to policy and substance. You and Donald Trump. And the idea that you're going to sneak in the fact or the or the thought that people in San Francisco are vermin. While you're saying you don't want to discuss this or use this word is intentional on your part as well. So I, I cannot stand this poli- this type of politics. It's absolutely disgusting to me. You, this person is substantive list. Yet and still, he is a as a place for him in the Republican Party. And that is damn sure just dastardly. Yeah. I mean, it's my question to him is was it substantive or focusing on the substance when he made fun of Ron DeSantis for wearing heels? Was he, you know, sticking to the substance when he said that Nikki Haley's daughter is on TikTok? Is that sticking to the substance? I think the hell not, Ramaswamy. But just quickly to the the actual substance of what he did say, uh, he doubled down that that homeless people are verbin, which is a level of dehumanization that is difficult for me to fathom. The idea that you could look at a person who is suffering immensely because of policy decisions by the United States um, to view them as less than human, to view them as animals. I mean, I mentioned earlier in the show, but there are tent cities for migrants who fought to come to the United States right around the block from where I live. And I see people in Chicago, which is supposed to be like this blue, blue city, protesting not the conditions that the city is forcing these uh, uh, these asylum seekers to live in. Children sleeping in tents outside on the hard floor in Chicago winter is happening right now. They're not protesting that. They're protesting that they have to see these people. They want them out of their neighborhoods. They don't want better conditions for them. They don't want them around at all. 
and American politicians continue to choose to represent policies that exacerbate homelessness instead of actually investing in meaningful solutions to solve homelessness so that every individual in the richest country in the world in the world can live in dignity uh, and not have to sleep literally outside. I mean, it's a, it's grotesque. I keep saying absurd, but that's all I can really say about Vivek Ramaswamy born into immense privilege who would spit on somebody who didn't have a doctor mother and a lawyer father and a rich house <laughs> to come home to every day. It's absolutely disgusting. You all stick around and stay. We'll be back. We're going to break. What in the red state hell? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. doesn't make sense. You have to ask yourself, you know, why do they keep pushing this? Who are they trying to appeal to? Because despite how what the media portrays or how politicians are voting, this doesn't represent the overwhelming majority of how this country, really how the world feels on this issue. I, I think majority of people, parents especially, uh, they can acknowledge that gay nutcracker and black disabled Santa uh, has gone way too far. The pendulum has swung. Too yeah, far. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't like her speaking on behalf of the gay community. Gay people might like being nutcrackers. Don't don't go there. I, I got some gay friends that will, whatever. I'm gonna let it go. However, I will say this: this is ridiculous. The idea that inclusive bothers these people so much is unbelievable. And let's start off before we even cut any piece of turkey. Let's start our war with <laughs> Christmas, right? Right. I mean, it is my favorite time of the year. My favorite season: war on Christmas season, where. Fox News outdoes itself year after year. And for some reason, CNN and MSNBC always take the bait a little bit. And we'll see how that's all going to play out at the beginning of this, this joyful season of being angry at black disabled Santa. I mean, it, it, I can't imagine a faker issue being presented by uh, you know, a faker celebrity, Riley Gaines, whose entire celebrity status was based on the fact that she came in fifth place in one swimming race, uh, it, like tied for fifth place. And the race was not even won by a trans woman. And that is the basis of her having, you know, the confidence to go out here and bash a Christmas ornament at Target that is just a, a wheelchair using Santa Claus, Riley and Jesse Waters, I hate to be the person to bring you this news, apparently for the first times in your lives. Santa's not real. So Santa can be black, he can be white, he can be a wheelchair user, you know, he can use crutches, he could be deaf. It doesn't matter. He's not real. He could be whatever you want him to be. Your Santa can be white. You can worship him that way. Let other people enjoy Christmas however they want to enjoy Christmas. Santa's not real. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we're not done. Double dose. What in the red state hell? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. If you are asking whether the violence at the Capitol on January 6th was part of some operation orchestrated by FBI sources and or agents, the answer is emphatically You're saying not. no. 
no. You're saying no? Not okay. violence orchestrated Let's by FBI on. sources or agents. Are you familiar with, with, you know what a ghost vehicle is? Director, your director of the FBI certainly should. You know what a ghost bus is? A ghost bus? Ghost bus. I'm not sure I've used that term before. Okay. Well, pretty common in, in law enforcement. It's a vehicle that's, that's used for secret purposes. It's painted over. These two buses in the middle here, they were the first to arrive at Union Station on January 6th. 0500. I have all this evidence. I'm showing you a tip of this iceberg. Mr. Chairman. These two buses Mr. are Chairman. painted completely white. Point of order. It's a very, very significant. significant. <laughs> Ray, you know you love riding on the ghost bus. Don't even pretend. You know you were there at 5 o'clock and 0500. Got to make it sound official because ghosts right. don't show up before 6 o'clock. Like they're never. Zeros 500, all the Ghostbusters showed up. The, here's the ridiculous idea of this. If these were FBI operatives, where are they in the videos? Where are they on the videos in the Capitol getting arrested for doing the stuff that the Proud Boys were doing? We literally had this conversation earlier. This is absolutely ridiculous. And the sad part about this was, Ray, this happened at a Homeland Security Committee. And it's not common language, Ghostbusters in police it's common language when you go down the rabbit hole of far-right extreme conspiracy, right? I mean, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters, apparently, is what we're doing. And it's funny because I was saying this yesterday, that so often these congressional hearings just become an absolute crap show, to put it you know, in a way that's acceptable for for streaming on television. It's conservatives asking, you know, the head of the FBI, um, how, how, how come they didn't get more than 50 likes on a tweet, printing out a giant um, cardboard display of their Twitter account, or, you know, pointing at buses that are identical to all the other buses that drove people to the Capitol to participate in January 6th, instead of, you know, trying to get to the bottom of who was funding those projects, Charlie Kirk was funding those projects. Um, we're just calling them ghost buses. We're, we're freestyling and inventing new words in congressional hearings. And just, you have this person essentially sitting captive in front of you. So you can say whatever the hell you want. It's astonishing in our taxpayer dollars funded that interaction. <laughs> Listen, and, and 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 the sad part about it, that ain't even the end. Like, there were literally Republicans from Georgia, Loudermilk, who actually chairs the defense, said he'd never heard of it. Like, I thought he, he thought it was asking for Ghostbusters, right? <laughs> it's just ridiculous. But wait, y'all. We love y'all so much. And it's Friday. A triple dose of I wish. What in the red state hell? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now, what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never had, I hate math. Somebody say amen. Why you should train jujitsu is because even if you lose a fight, you want to make sure the other guy will never want to fight you ever Absolutely. again because it's kind That's of fine. a win-win at that point. But yeah. we need to move from an almost By fight. the way, I'm not afraid of biting. I will bite. Biting? Uh, I'll, well, I'll I mean, bite. Yeah. I mean, a fight, I'm going to bite. I'll, I'll, I'll do anything. I mean, I'm not above it. And I don't care where I bite, by the way. It just is going to be a bite. I'm not even going to ask any further questions on that. <laughs> I think that that basically speaks for itself.
Wait, did he just say he was the, the gay nutcracker? I'm confused. What, what is he talking about, right? Really? <laughs> He'll bite anywhere? Stop it. Listen, Senator Mullen is a ridiculous person in general. This is the, this interview actually took place after, a day after he was in a Senate committee hearing where he was talking about brawling, brawling, guys. And this is absolutely ridiculous. This is where we find ourselves, though. And this, this, this reminds us that the Republican Party, red state hell, is all about one thing, clicks. Mm-hmm. Clickbait and clicks, because there's nothing serious about this conversation, especially when you have a witness that's been invited to testify about standing up to corporate greed and you want to talk about fighting them, challenging them to a fight. Ray, come on now. Where are we? I love because I'll bite you. I'll bite you, Ray. Right. I love how he starts that or, you know, in that video, he's like, I'm not afraid to bite. I'll nibble on a man's earlobe. I'm fine with it. I'll, I'll, I'll be in there behaving like that. I mean, and I I guess I wouldn't expect anything less from a senator named Mark Wayne Mullen. I mean, maybe that's what the people of Oklahoma elected him to do. I mean, and it's funny in that video you're talking about, though, you have Bernie Sanders trying to, like, calm him down and be the voice of reason. He's chairing that hearing. Um, and he's he's not, right? He's just continuously like, I want to beat the crap out of you. I want to beat you up. I want hold up your fists. Let me punch you in the face. <laughs> and that's the Senate now. It's not just, you know, the absolute best that is our, con- uh, you know, our, our House of Representatives. It's also our Senate, which is supposed to be the more respectable institution. And you know what, though? It makes... It makes for good clicks. That is obviously the goal. Get a soundbite, get some notoriety on social media, something that you can campaign off of because election season's coming up, you know, uh, uh, and some attention from the far right that shows that you're a, a tough, tough guy who got wealthy because his dad was wealthy, you know, and you're not afraid to to put yourself on the line to defend the honor of your plumbing company. I don't really know what any of this is about, but I, I, I've been enjoying watching it. Um, and whatever, you know, keeps this guy away from voting on legislation, then that's cool with me. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the tragedy, the tragedy of this is, you know, like we're the irony I should say is 50, 60 years ago, him threatening a team. So like that could have ended different for him, but right. I digress. Ray, won't you tell the people where they can find you? And also thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a pleasure as always um, to everyone watching. You can always find me at Ravana TTV on Twitter. You can also see me hosting the second hour of the power panel today. It'll be excellent. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of fun stories, um, some hard stories, but that are important for you all to hear. Uh, you can also check out my videos on Rebel HQ on uh, Facebook, as well as YouTube. So basically anything social, she's there. I'm Monday Robinson, y'all, filling in for Dr. Richie. It is Friday. It's also indisputable. Remember, have a wonderful day, not before you think about it. Peace. Indisputable is still the fastest growing news show in America compared to CNN, Fox News, and 30 other networks. We tell the truth on indisputable because the truth is indisputable. We go places that other news media outlets refuse to go. When there were human rights abuses happening at the Victorville prison, guards and members of the community contacted us. You, through your investigative reporting, unearthed very troubling allegations about specific forms of abuse and discrimination in the federal prison system. It really doesn't take much to be a trusted voice. All it takes 
is to be fearless, report on matters, be an advocate. I called it the bullpen intentionally because it's a place of preparation. We present individuals who may have an opposing view, so we debate. Sometimes we interview individuals because their stories deserve to be heard. A survivor of significant police misconduct and his attorney. We covered this story earlier and remind you of the horror of one man being shot at damn near 100 times by the police. We take time on this show to showcase the temper tantrums of Karens in the wild. We do this not because we want to see people's emotional outbursts in public, but because these incidents are emblematic of a bigger societal issue taking place across the nation, and it has to be checked. My friend, my big homie, attorney at law, Benjamin Crump. I just want to thank you, man. When educated, articulate brothers like yourself speak truth to power, it makes a great difference in changing the landscape in America. Listen, no matter what you do, don't allow the politics of ideology to evaporate the soul that still exists inside of you. They don't stop, I don't stop. Racism won't stop, I won't stop. Systemic bias won't stop, I won't stop. People still need health care, so I won't stop. People still need criminal justice systems reform, so I won't stop. You won't stop either.